Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that ponders the purpose of cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we look at news stories including an Australian certification body introduces a road charging solution. In past programs we mentioned that Ford had taken a very broad look at the future of transport as typified by their ad that was played during the telecast of this year's Super Bowl. It was refreshingly honest and took a reality check on the future of transport. Well, we have just attended a forum Ford held in Melbourne titled Future with Ford, which they described as conceptual mobility solutions for the future. We interviewed some of the presenters and we have a feature item on some of the things they said. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories, including Singapore may have designed the world's best bus stops and IKEA is now selling bikes. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au and you can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now, to begin the program, let's have the news. Transport Certification Australia, the national government administrator of the telematics and related intelligent technologies, has worked with Main Roads Western Australia to implement a new road charging solution, which represents a further application of the national telematics framework. This new application leverages the use of certified telematics to monitor heavy vehicle road use, enabling road and transport agencies to determine road use for charging purposes. The application gives governments reliable data on how heavy vehicles use the transport network and its key assets. This application is currently being used in a limited trial situation, but many planners believe it represents the technology to support a user charge for all vehicles. FCA, the manufacturers of Fiat, Chryslers, Jeeps and Alfa Romeos, has been in the news recently for reasons it might like to ignore. In Australia, they have just released a statement saying... News Corporation published an article which claims that the Department of Infrastructure and Regional Development is investigating FCA Australia's Jeep, Alfa Romeo, Fiat and Chrysler brands in relation to diesel emissions. The article is categorically incorrect, they say. FCA Australia denies the existence of any such investigation. So does the Department of Infrastructure and Regional Development, unquote. While this is undoubtedly true, there are many reports of the organisation being investigated in Europe for emission violations. The company is, of course, assumed innocent, even if investigations are underway. There are also reports that FCA is up for sale. Seven projects will share in $5.6 million from the first round of funding from the South Australian Government's Future Mobility Lab Fund to drive local development of autonomous vehicle technology. Coda Wireless will receive $2 million towards two significant research and on-road trial projects. Coda is planning on-road trials on the streets of Adelaide to test how vehicles communicate with one another and roadside infrastructure using the company's state-of-the-art systems. Other successful projects which will receive a $1 million each from the Future Mobility Lab Fund include the Adelaide Airport Electric Driverless Passenger Shuttle Trial, the RDM Group driverless cargo pods and the Flinders University driverless student shuttles. 
Vehicle manufacturers are finding novel ways to incorporate new technologies into their vehicles for specific needs. Project Hero is an advanced communication vehicle created to support Jaguar Land Rover's partnership with the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies, the world's largest humanitarian network. This version of the Land Rover's Discovery is equipped with its very own search and discovery drone, which is capable of taking off and landing on the vehicle's roof, even when it's in motion. The intention is that it will be able to take off from the vehicle and scout ahead of the Red Cross emergency response team, transmitting live footage back. More than 2,000 people have now taken part in Australia's first driverless bus trial, the RAC Intellibus which has been conducted in Perth. So far, the Intellibus has completed 357 trips and travelled more than a 1,000 kilometres. The fully electric and driverless bus has no steering wheel, driver's seat, brake pads, pedals or accelerator. Jaguar has created its first electric concept vehicle based on its F-Pace SUV, and the performance is not for the faint-hearted. Jaguar says the I-Pace will accelerate to 100 kilometres an hour in around four seconds, with a range of more than 500 kilometres. Charging is easy and quick, they say, with 80% charge achieved in just 90 minutes using 50 kilowatt DC charging. General Motors' sale of its European Opel brand has heralded a push for GM to be more profitable in the US and China markets. Almost immediately after the sale, we hear that GM will soon launch a Buick-branded extended-range electric vehicle known as the Velite 5 in China. Last year, GM said it would introduce more than 10 new energy vehicles such as plug-in electric hybrids and pure battery electrics in China over the next five years. In 2016, sales of new energy vehicles in China totaled over 500,000 units, up 53% from 2015, according to the China Association of Automobile Manufacturers. And that has been the news. I was invited to attend the Future with Ford Forum, which the automotive company described as conceptual mobility solutions for the future. I have already reported how much I thought that Ford's ad they produced for this year's Super Bowl telecast was refreshingly honest and took a reality check on the future of transport. Guest speakers at the forum included former Victorian Premier Jeff Kennett, but also Ford's futurist Cheryl Connolly, whose official title is Manager Global Consumer Trends and Futuring. Cheryl has, amongst other things, given a number of TED Talks. One is entitled, How We Get From A to B in 2026. It was an honour to be able to talk to Cheryl after the conference. One of the questions that came up that was sent through on the text was, what was a car look like in the future? I think you would almost say, with no confidence, that what it's exactly going to be like, even though you are the futurist for Ford. Exactly, because I can't predict the future. My title is a bit misleading, but it really is to challenge the status quo, right? So I think as the car means different things to different people, we'll see it manifest itself physically in different forms. Uh, autonomous vehicles, you know, as we say right now in 2021, those vehicles 
will not have a steering wheel. They won't have a brake. They won't have a gas pedal. So they will look different, and how we decide to conceive that remains to be seen. And so you would really be looking at a whole pile of how the customer would react or what their feedback is far more than just what the digital electronic technology might be able to produce? Yeah, I mean, I think with technology, you have to be careful because uh, that old saying, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. And it's a really important guideline. And right now, uh, customers are at the center of everything we do. And as we think about mobility as a service, uh, that means that we have to do business completely differently. And one of the things that we're discovering is that every day is different. It's different for you. I'm sure it's different for me. and we plan our journeys on a daily basis. So where are we going? How do we want to get there? What are our priorities as we go from point A to point B? And sometimes that means driving your own vehicle. Other times it means, no, I want to take public transport, or I want to share a ride, um, or I want to ride a bicycle. And what we see in the future is being part of that decision-making process. We already have an app outside called Ford pass and it includes a number of components but right now the app will actually help you plan the journey in some very practical standpoints so you get up and you're running late and you go i want to drive into the city but i will never find parking this app will help you locate your parking before you get into the city it'll help you reserve it you can pay for it remotely let's say you get to your meeting and that meeting runs long remotely you could use that app to extend your parking meter and you get out and it was such a banner meeting you go out to celebrate and you say I don't want to drive it's not safe so where's the locust local train station taxi or uh, ride lift service Um, and I think that's what the future is going to be about and it's really consumer centric it's nothing it's not about technology it's really about what are your priorities and how can we help you manage them and enable it's been suggested in some major CBDs 30% of the traffic is circulating. If we could have technology where you went straight to your parking spot, no amount of traffic like technology is going to solve the 30%. If you eliminate that, we could make city centres significantly better. Yeah, well, and if you have an autonomous uh, future and those vehicles aren't parked, imagine the green space that a city could get back. Mm. Um, We already know that searching for a parking spot is probably one of the most wasteful times of uh, fuel efficiency, and so you can shortcut that. But even as it exists right now, the we see 160 million hours lost each and every year simply to the daily commute and traffic jams. So we're all about solving that problem. And I think having been with the company for 20 years, what's most exciting is that we're saying it doesn't always have to be solved with four wheels and sheet metal. And I, I loved Ford's Super Bowl ad. We did a story on it where most Super Bowl ads were, of course, sentimental, almost syrupy, a little bit of nationalism and so on. You put reality into it. You had actually congested roads on there, which would be the antithesis of the image of the free driving person. Yes, I think that's the reality that uh, our customers live. And so it's the reality in which we have to make our decisions and, and apply our strategies. Mm, yeah. The the issue of autonomous cars, though, 
It seems though we have a bit of an idealistic view that it will allow us to do anything anywhere, anytime. Capacity is clearly going to be a problem. Fantastic to give it to people with a disability or an impairment, but there's not always that room for everyone to have such freedom. Is that something Ford's going to have to be aware of and perhaps be part of the process to get people to understand? Sure. Uh, we're already thinking about those things. The thing is that we're not thinking about it by ourselves, right? So alongside of us are many, many stakeholders, not the least of which is the consumer. But when you back and you back up and you look at the infrastructure, you have to have partnerships with city planners, um, with government bodies. You have to understand what regulations are on the table. You have to think about litigation, insurance, uh, protection in terms of data and privacy security. So all of these things will be advanced as an ecosystem of these experts come together and say, okay, what's the best way, the safest way, the smartest way to make this a reality? You were saying that perhaps millennials might be more readily to embrace a world where the, the driving a manual car was the be all and end all for us who were baby boomers, but uh, well, for me particularly, perhaps millennials might see the world a bit differently? I think millennials see the world a little differently um, in, in lots of categories, not just cars, <laughs> not just cars. Uh, but the context is different. You know, when, when you were 16 and your baby boomer brethren were 16, when you got your license, it was the gateway into adulthood. You know, and it, the first car stood for freedom and independence. Today, I would argue that the cell phone has replaced that, and it happens way before you're 16. And so young people uh, prize different things. And so uh, that might be the ultimate status symbol. And so we're trying to understand that. But just because um, the car doesn't mean the same thing to across the generations doesn't mean that it can't be equally relevant to, to them. You just have to get to them through a different way. It used to be that we spoke to the baby boomers about performance, the engine, the roar of the engine, the horsepower. Today, with younger people, we talk about syncing their phone, uh, CarPlay, uh, uh, Google Card, the things that that allow you to take the front of your cell phone and have it project on the uh, dashboard of your vehicle. So now all those icons that are part of your daily life are seamlessly integrated into your experience with the car. Particularly if we're going to share more cars, I, I won't have three years to get used to a car. I test a car each week and I can hate a car, the one-week unfamiliarity syndrome. Uh, whereas really you're, you're, you're having to design or think about cars that I can get into and be more comfortable more instantaneously? Yes, and we already have some of that built in. So today, you know, for instance, I share a car with my husband, um, soon to be my teenage driver, daughter, who will be driving soon enough. And right now our vehicles are equipped with three driver modes. So the car can recognize which one of us driving, sometimes just from the key. And so my husband is a good 12 inches taller than I am. His legs are a lot longer. Um, so preferences like that. And then you can see it advancing to understanding what are our preferences for radio? What is our preference for routes? What is our preference for temperature all of those things can be built in and you don't have to own a car to have that experience to be customized or personalized it could easily translate to car sharing platforms you talked about Henry Ford the first uh, as being one who uh, revolutionized production but he also your words he revolutionized consumption as well but we, it's not an infinite resource though is it is this an environmental concern from the Ford company 
Oh, definitely. And and uh, our leaders talk about it often, uh, not the least of which our executive chairman, Henry's great-grandson, Bill Ford, is a uh, dyed-in-the-blue environmentalist and proud of it. And I think he has shepherded our company um, in a direction that it wouldn't have been had it been for his foresight. You know, it's not easy to make a business case for, instance, like an, a hybrid electric vehicle. The numbers in the early years just were hard to make them work. And he said, but we need to do this. And we continue to do things like that. Ford just actually got recognized for its eighth year in a row being one of the world's most ethical companies. And that's something that we feel so proud about because when it comes to corporate social responsibility, particularly for automobiles, I think so many of the conversations have surrounded uh, miles or I guess kilometers mm. per liter, mm. I guess. Mm. I would say miles per gallon. Uh, but if you want to get to the truest sense of sustainability, it's about community. You know, what mark are you leaving on the world? Are you making it a better place? And I think Ford has a very unique story to tell. And that was Cheryl Connolly, whose official title is Manager Global Consumer Trends and Futuring for the Ford Motor Company. She had travelled to Australia in order to talk at a forum Ford had organised that, that covered mobility solutions for the future. You're listening to Overdrive. And as we come to the end of the program, let's have a chat about the more unusual stories to do with motoring and transport. Joining me on the line is Errol Smith. Errol, g'day, how are you? G'day, David. And Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. Now, Brian, you're going to lead the way. You're, you being a bus man. Uh, certainly, David. Uh, what do you want from a bus stop? Do you want a place to sit? A bit of shelter, some information. Well, in Singapore, they are offering you quite a bit more at the moment. They're uh, trialling in um, a, a Jurong, a part of Singapore, where uh, the government is testing a bunch of smart activities and smart transport applications. They have put in a special bus stop as a trial um, and they're trying to sort of work out what features of the bus stop you may like to, to have. And some of the, the bus stop has plenty of seating. It's also got a rack of books that you that are suitable for all ages. For it, um, uh, you can read. Uh, it's got bike parking. It's got a swing. So part of the seat is actually a swing you can sit on. It's got sort of local artwork and even a rooftop garden. And in addition to that, it's actually connected into uh, into the internet. Um, you can scan a QR code and download ebooks from the National Library. You can charge your phone. Uh, and you could look at interactive digital boards that do more than just telling you the time that buses arrive, but also provide weather information and news and things like that. And solar panels on the top help, help to offset electricity use. So as part of Singapore's smart nation, they're testing this thing, trying to find out what they might put into bus stops. Generally, the most popular thing, the ability to charge your phone. <laughs> so th- this is the secret to encouraging public transport is, is basically free phone charging stations. Yeah, that's it. Convenience and ripping off the man. Well, that's what they're trying in Sydney up into the north. Well, they're proposing into the uh, the um, Manly Warringah Peninsula that they have buses that have more comfortable individual seats. Some have a PowerPoint, uh, certainly have Wi-Fi. Brian, you're very keen for bus locations be they stops be they interchanges and you don't like that word do you you don't like the word interchange that's a bit of a label Mm. it's sometimes obscure 
David, uh, what the real function of the, the stop is. They're often better referred to as a transit hub, particularly if they're places where other activities uh, take place and, and, and brought there by the activity that's generated by the transport. Uh, you mentioned King's Cross in Station in the UK. Well, in the UK, yes, King's Cross and Pancras Station, uh, almost a third of the visitors on any one day uh, are not there to travel. The point about that, it becomes an activity. When we think of a bus stop purely in the functional sense and, and, a, and an interchange or, or, or call it a hub, if you like, when we only think about it in the functional sense, then we tend to generate concrete canyons and caves almost of buses coming in. And the, the main determining feature is the radius of curvature for turning a bus. And they become really incredibly dingy, dark, concrete slab wall places which have no character at all. Mm. And I think not enough is done, David, to, to, I guess, test and find out what it is that people would like to have uh, at a bus stop. I mean, it, it, you don't often spend very much time there. You obviously need functional things like protection from the sun, particularly in Singapore, uh, and the wind and the rain. But, um, you know, what are the things that people value do they want to have a swing or do they want to have local information do they uh, want to download music so it's not enough done asking or trying to understand what people may value as part of their journey because they found Mm. in lifts that people got impatient but their way that they overcome that i believe was putting mirrors up (laughs) so they could look at themselves (laughs) yeah (laughs) or maybe just straight distracted by their own by their own appearance yes it's it, it's interesting what what they've done here in in Singapore is that in it's sort of it's they've kind of taken a shotgun approach where to try and determine what people are interested in they've kind of thrown every day idea they can think of into a single bus stop <laughs> and they're just kind yes. of seeing what sticks. Well, your other point, Brian, is, uh, for example, in a main shopping street, is that the bus stop is often squeezed into the footpath space. You would much prefer to have a little lounge area, one of the shop fronts, where people could meet, and, and, and there they could have a screen that shows when the bus is coming and so on, that it becomes better. I wondered whether it might not be what they're trying to do in Singapore is a little of the principle of the old milk bar. You know, that you sort of hang around, have a bit of a chat, get there a bit early, uh, meet a few people. Is is Mm. that a possibility? Yes, yes, I think more of a social hub, Mm. uh, more of a a place to come to get information or to to do other things. I I like the idea of a transport facility that's integrated with um, other purposes. So, for example, if you think of uh, most major train stations now, we'll have a supermarket near in them or nearby and so you can as part of your journey and as a reason for transferring between modes or pausing at this interchange uh, or hub you might have the opportunity to do something useful and valuable buy food for the evening pick up your children a bunch of those sorts of things and i think that's what's missing we're still thinking very much about just the travel component of it but they can be much more they can contribute to their community and they contribute to people who are traveling in in many different ways our mate Chris Stapleton, transport planner, has uh, he's been the one that really likes the corner store near the bus stop so that when you get out, you can buy the milk, the bread or whatever you want just to supplement you know, on your way home. And now that we all have mobile phones, you can be told what you have to pick up as well. Of course, um, in some places, there are shopping walls at the bus stop. 
and they, that's like images of, of uh, product, products. Yes. You can scan it with your phone and purchase it from, you know, from the bus stop for pickup at your destination. All right, gentlemen, uh, talking about getting around, IKEA is now selling bikes. The name of the bike is the Slada. Uh, it is shipped to you. You assemble it with an Allen key, as we all expect. So should we just... Uh, Briefly get the Kia jokes out of our system here as much as we got. Are they building it just to ride around their huge shops? I... Yeah, how many Allen keys does it need to assemble, um, etc.? Yeah, yeah. It's quite a clever idea, David. I think it's uh, it's taken the the IKEA ingenuity and um, and applied it to you know quite a, a nice idea. It's not a fantastic bike, but it's a very useful bike. It's it's got uh, a belt instead of a chain so many of those messy things about the bike are resolved and you can buy lots of cool accessories like a trailer or a, or a front basket or bags helmets locks all, all those sort of um ikea things i'm only disappointed that uh that they called it slatter and not bike with a y bike yeah something yes, like that. Cool bike. <laughs> I, I always thought i always thought a slatter was a biscuit but um <laughs> That's a typical Aussie slurring of the Salada. Salada, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, most bikes sit at home not being used, so these will not even be assembled, so they'll take up less space. I think that has a certain advantage. <laughs> it's still in their box, you mean. Mm. And, and you can push it under the bed. I do like the no greasy t- chain. I like that a lot. Is this really Big Boy's Meccano? Is this, does it give you a sense of ownership to the bike a bit more if you've actually built it? Yes, that's a great, a great idea, David. That, that uh, I, I believe somebody said that the bicycle is the last machine that we ever understood, uh, that most other machinery is beyond our sort of understanding as, oh, as see, yes. sort of, uh, normal people. And I think, yes, you could connect much more with it if you've put it on and the pedals are upside down and, you know, the seat's in the wrong place. So, uh, <laughs> but, yes, if you put it together correctly, then a great sense of um, of achievement. And, of course, they've given you a 10-year guarantee on the, the belt drive and a 25-year guarantee on the frame. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it aims for little maintenance, which I think is very, very important. It's not, not especially light. 15 kilograms, about 520 Australian dollars is the sort of thing they're charging for it. But some say it might do for cycling what the Model T Ford did for cars. If it had an electric motor on it, David, then yes, I would say that. But I, I think plenty of people have mass-produced bicycles, um, perhaps not with the sort of selling power of IKEA, but... When they bring mm. out the e-bike, come and talk to me. Yeah, and you can you can buy this any co- in any colour you like as long as it's white. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, lovely to talk to you. Thank you once again for your time. No worries, David. Thank you, David. Uh, it's Brian Smith and Errol Smith, and we were talking unusual stories in the world of motoring and transport and perhaps how that might affect other professions as well. And you have been listening to Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, David Saxberg, Brian Smith, David Campbell and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. 
You can listen to longer segments of each of the features or road tests by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.